everyone continuing with this edX course free online course at Harvard online Islam through its scriptures continuing reading the context of the Quran as we will see during this course, the diverse approaches that Muslims have used to interpret the Quran and the corpus of hadiths, accounts of the actions and sayings attributed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, which together form core scriptural texts for most Muslims are intricate and complicated. One source of these complexities is the question of the relationship between the Quran and the context in which it was revealed. On the one hand, the Quran is considered to contain a message for all of humanity which will be valid for all subsequent times and places and not simply for 7th century Arabia. On the other hand, in many respects the Quran has a clear connection with that context as preparation for our engagements with the Quran 
in the rest of this course. It is therefore important to consider the ways in which the context of the emergence of the Quran is relevant for the interpretation of this text whilst also bearing in mind that there are other approaches to interpretation that are not so context-related in this way. The Arabic Quran on several occasions the Quran it's, refers to itself as quote an Arabic Quran slash recitation. The Quran is composed of the Arabic of 7th century Arabia including turns of phrase that are specific to that period of the language. Muslim philologists from early in Islamic history devoted much attention to developing sciences of Quranic grammar, lexicography, and rhetoric so that the literal meaning and emotional force of the Arabic of the Quran as it would have been heard by those to whom Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught it could be preserved. One often sees detailed linguistics and grammatical discussions Excuse me. One often sees detailed linguistics and grammatical discussions in commentaries, also known as tafsir commentaries, tafsir on the Quran for this reason. Number two, the social significance of language. Poets and prophets, from what we know about pre-Islamic Arabia, the importance of Even
language can hardly be overestimated. Eloquence was deeply respected and poets were respected professionals whose crafted words might make or break the reputation of an individual or a tribe. Battles always began with the recitation of war poetry, and there are even legends that bloodshed might be avoided if a poetic defeat was definitive. The most famous pre-Islamic poems are the Hung poems, H-U-N-G, Muala Khat, M-U-A-L-L-A-Q-A-T, Muala Khat, which hung in the most revered place of all, on the Kaaba itself. The Quranic clearly distinguishes itself as <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the Quranic clearly distinguishes itself from both poetry and the speech of soothsayers inspired by jinn the scripture contains numerous claims that its language proves its divine origin <coughs> even challenging Deniers to produce something like it. We will look at that at the issue of the inimitability of the Quran in more detail in day five. <coughs> Distinguish <coughs> excuse my voice. <coughs> we had the extreme heat and this gas pump, this gas leakage and uh, it's affecting my voice. So intense it caused the gas to start to leak from somebody's pipes somewhere. And uh, <clears throat> that's a whole nother story there. <clears throat> yeah, that was scary, but we survived it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
don't, you never want to ever experience gas poisoning. It's not, it's not fun at all. Okay, excuse me. <coughs> Distinguishing the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, from these poets and soothsayers, the Quran speaks instead of prophecy, which seems to have been a concept that had significant currency in pre-Islamic Arabia, according to Muslim accounts of the Prophet's biography also called Sirah S I R A Sirah. While a child, Muhammad, peace be upon him, was traveling with a trade caravan to Syria, the caravan stopped at a hermitage of a Christian monk named Bahira, who, upon seeing certain signs, including physical features of Muhammad, peace be upon him, predicted that he was to become the awaited prophet. Such accounts give us some context as to how Muslims have conceived of the context in which the Quran was revealed and illuminate many of the Quranic statements about its own very particular form of language. Number three, the walking Quran. As we have mentioned before, the most important aspect of contextualizing the Quran is the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, himself, who came to be considered by Muslims to embody the message he revealed. Hence, he came to be referred to as, quote, the walking Quran or the Quran on two feet, close quote. His sayings and actions recorded in the Hadith literature are the most important resources for understanding the meaning of the Quran and the imitation of the prophet, the cultivation of his character traits, 
is considered by many Muslims to be the key to gaining access to the deeper meanings of the Quran. Number four, occasions of revelation, also called Asbab al Nusul. A-S-B-A-B-A-L hyphen N-U-C-U-L Asbab Al-Nusul A significant number of Quranic verses respond directly to particular events in the life of the Prophet Muh. Hamad, peace be upon him, or to questions posed to him. There are sometimes differing accounts of these occasions of revelation, and commentators may weigh them against each other or even question the extent to which they are relevant to interpretation. For example, regarding the verse, quote, To God belong the east and the west, so wheresoever you turn, there is the face of God. Verily, God is all-encompassing, knowing. Surah 2, Ayat 1, 1, 5. Chapter 2, verse 115. Again, quote, To God belong the east and the west, so wheresoever the face of God. Verily, God is all encompassing, knowing. Close quote. 2 and 115. Some commentators will interpret this verse as a legal pronouncement, arguing that the occasion of revelation was when a group of travelers who had been unable to determine the direction of prayer at night time and in the morning realized they had got it wrong, asked the prophet whether their prayer was invalid. However, other commentators, particularly Sufis, S-U-F-I-S, Sufis, in this case, have suggested that this verse is simply a statement of fact, a metaphysical truth, and the reported occasion of revelation is irrelevant, or that it is both a legal pronouncement regarding the status of mistakes 
in prayer and a metaphysical statement. Number five, Meccan and Medinian periods. Mecca and Medinian periods. Given the connections of many Quranic verses with particular occasions, occasions of revelation, scholars have endeavored to associate various parts of the Quran with different periods of the 23 years during which Muslims believe that the Prophet received revelation. The most important categorization here is between verses for whole chapters slash surahs that were revealed in Mecca and those revealed in Medina after the Hijra, his emigration from Mecca to Medina in the year 622 CE common era which some people call AD continuing the social situation of the prophet and his followers while in Mecca as opposed to the period in Medina were quite different quite different for example the Meccan chapters which despite being earlier are mainly located at the end of the Quran contain a striking lyricism and intensity instructing the oppressed and deeply committed group on the spiritual truth of the meeting with God and the urgency of turning toward Him. During the Medinan period, on the other hand, the community had become an established social and political entity and in these passages, to give just a few examples, the Quran lays down regulations for communal life, whilst also warning of those who have joined the community simply for, excuse me, those who have joined the community simply for material and social benefit. An interesting illustration of this difference is seen in Surah which begins by addressing
the prophet and his committed Meccan following, quote, O thou enwrapped, stand vigil at night, save a little, half of it, or reduce it a little, or add to it, and recite the Quran in a measured pace. Truly, we shall soon cast upon thee a weighty word. Truly, the visual of the night is firmest in tread and most upright for speech. That's Quran, chapter 73 and verses 1 through 6. Surah 73, ayats 1 through 6. Taken from the study, Quran, SQ. But it ends with verses added later said by some to date from the Medinan period, which lightens the burden of worship for the believers for a community that was now less elite. Quote, Truly, thy Lord knows that thou dost stand vigil well nigh two-thirds of the night, or a half of it, or a third of it, as do a group of those who are with thee. Excuse me. And God measures out the night and the day. He knows that you will not keep count of it and has relented unto you. So recite that which is easy for you of the Quran. Chapter 7 and verse 20. Quran, Surah 73, Ayat 20. At this juncture, it should also be noted that the modern editions of the Quran, whether in the Arabic or any other language, have arranged these chapters slash surahs roughly in order of verse length. The longer surahs are placed in the beginning save the first one, the Fatiha, the Fatiha, and the shorter surahs are placed at the end. Number six, abrogation, given that the verses of the Quran are believed to have been revealed over a 23-year period in which 
the social conditions of the Muslims were constantly, constantly changing. One finds within the Quran certain verses that provide differing instructions on a single issue. Perhaps the majority of interpreters hold that later verses have the capacity to abrogate or invalidate the legal rulings contained within previously revealed verses. This they would maintain is not to say that God has changed his mind, but rather that differing social conditions necessitate differing causes of action. One example of this is the gradual prohibition of wine and hence other intoxicating beverages that one can trace in different Quranic verses. For example, the verse quote, O you who believe, draw not near unto prayer when you are drunken, while until you know what you are uttering. 4 and 43. Repeating from Quran, quote, O you who believe, draw not near unto prayer when you are drunken until you know what you are uttering. End quote. Surah 4 and 43 obviously contains instructions that are less restrictive than the verse, quote, O you who believe wine and gambling and idols and divining arrows are but a means of defilement of Satan's doing. So avoid it that happily you may prosper. Quran 5 and 90 which is considered the last verse revealed regarding wine. Again, quote, O you who believe wine and gambling and idols and divining arrows are but a means of defilement, defilement of Satan's doing, so avoid it that happily you may prosper, in quote, Surah 5 and 90, which is considered the last verse revealed regarding wine. Number 7, Reactions to Pre-Islamic Practices. The Quran contains a range of responses to different pre-Islamic practices. 
from confirmation of certain types of practices such as fasting and pilgrimage which were given new forms to outright rejection such as the harsh criticism of pre-Islamic Arabs for idolatry and burying alive female newborns. Many commentators in the modern period have argued that the social message of the Quran should be understood in the light of pre-Islamic practices. For example, some argue that slavery was a social institution in pre-Islamic Arabia that was so entrenched that it would have been impossible to ban it outright. So instead, the Quran places emphasis on the virtues and rewards associated with freeing slaves. <clears throat> Excuse me. These considerations already suggest some of the complexities associated with interpreting the Quran complexities that will only become more apparent as we turn to other aspects and genres of Quranic interpretation. However, this complexity should not be discouraging while it seems particularly impossible to say once and for all that one has understood a particular Quranic verse, it is more helpful to think of understanding as possessing degrees of intensity like a spectrum of light. Although many Muslims believe that complete understanding belongs only to God or to the prophet or to prophet and the imams depending on the group. All Muslim scholars, indeed all Muslims, have been engaged in the attempt to gradually deepen their understanding of the meaning of the verses of the Quran. Throughout the tradition and especially in the pre-modern period, one repeatedly comes across the sentiment and God knows best. 
as the author endeavors to present the best interpretation possible given their means. Likewise, although one may not know Arabic and may not have mastered the body of knowledge associated with Quranic interpretation, one can continuously increase in knowledge by becoming acquainted with diverse Muslim interpretations of the Quran and gaining understanding of the methods by which these interpretations were attained, the context that shaped them, and the reasons for their diversity.
Without love, all worship is a burden, all dancing is a chore, all music. Is mere noise. All the rain of heaven may fall into the sea. Without love, not one drop could become a pearl. 
without love, even the shining brightest stars get burnt out, eclipsed, and extinguished. Breathing is not the same as living. Talking is not the same as speaking. Simply doing something for the sake of doing is meaningless. We must have passion along with it, and more precisely, love. It is love that makes everything we do so much more beautiful and meaningful. Because every time we do something out of love, we remind ourselves of our Creator, our Beloved. You know, I say this often, but only because it's true. Without divine love, none of us would even be here right now. It is that supreme love that it caused the entire universe to be born, that caused the Big Bang, if you will, and created every person, place, and time that followed. When we embody this love, our soul connects with our beloved, which is why we feel a deep sense of joy, purpose, and peace. We realize why we are on this earth in the first place, to become love and give love. And in this poem, we get some wonderful examples of what would happen if we don't have that love when performing an action. Even something as noble and pious as worship becomes a burden if done without love. That is, if it's not done from the heart, but rather from a sense of fear and guilt. Without love, dancing, which can be seen here as the Sufi mystic dance of Sama that Rumi would often practice, would simply just be a chore and not as a way to connect and ultimately unite with our beloved. So you can see here that any spiritual or religious way to connect with our beloved is insincere and meaningless if not done with love. Love is an intuitive force, feeling, and state of being that lives inside all of us. It lives right here in our heart, and we are all capable of loving and doing things out of love. But just because we have that capability, that doesn't mean we're always using it, or even aware of it. Our heart is like a garden. Whatever we plant in it is what grows and brings us fruit. If we plant feelings of love, peace, respect, compassion, and so on, then our heart will open itself up to embody love. But if we plant feelings of hate, jealousy, pride, and so on, our heart will close itself to embody the ego. It's up to you to decide what you want to grow in this garden. But as you become more aware, you realize that there really is only one fruit you would have your whole life. Love. Because we all experience immense pain and suffering in our life that hardens our heart and make us embody negative, lower energy feelings. It's not that we come into this world unconscious and filled with ego. No, the experiences of our life and how we subjectively perceive them dictate how we grow this garden. Which is why it's always hard to unlearn bad habits, create new positive thoughts, and become a better version of ourselves when we've become so accustomed to our ego-driven life. If you take an honest look right now at your own garden, what would you find? Would it be a garden of paradise with fountains everywhere and beautiful flowers in full bloom? Or would it be a dry and barren wasteland with thorny rose bushes and diseased plants? 
You know, it's hard to be honest with yourself, but the more you can embrace the truth, the more you can move closer toward love and forget this ego-driven existence that you've been living. You know, so many bright and shining stars or gifted individuals burn out and get extinguished because they don't have this love. They might have immense intellect, beauty, charm, money, or influence, but because they have forgotten their heart in favor of their mind, love has left them completely and their star is no longer shining. Perhaps Rumi is secretly making an admission of his own shortcomings before he began to travel on the path of love. As many of you are familiar, Rumi wasn't always the deep, poetic, and beautiful soul that we see him as today. Like us, he experienced a great deal of suffering and was under the control of his ego for some time before he learned the truth of his existence under the guidance and friendship of Shams Tabriz. His garden, you can say, was not the majestic and divine paradise it is today. But the beautiful part is that he woke up and he changed. He abandoned his ego and went so deep into his soul that the boundaries of this dualistic world no longer seemed real to him. And he went so far along this path where arguably few souls have actually traveled to ultimately become love and reunite with his beloved on account of this love. This bright and talented theologian and Islamic judge completely shed his ego reveal the bare and beautiful soul that is God's reflection. And so his own star had to die in order to illuminate the entire universe that is God. And therein lies a simple truth. Your own star, your own ego has to die in order for you to realize you're something, part of something infinitely bigger, which is God. So I hope you enjoyed this poem and interpretation. It's not one of Rumi's longest, but man is it packed with sublime beauty and wisdom. All of it can be summarized in a single sentence. Do everything with love, and you will embody and return that love that the beloved has given you. Thank you, as always, for watching, and please don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed this video. And make sure to drop a comment to let me know your thoughts. Your support means the world, and if you want to make an even greater impact, please consider becoming a patron of this channel uh, by visiting my Patreon page, which you can find on the description below, and where you can become a regular supporter with any monthly donations that you are comfortable with. So good luck putting this poem into practice, and I look forward to seeing you here on this next video. The audacity of hope, a poem to find hope. In the midst of despair is a sacred thing born of wings we cannot remember we once had.
not knowing we will have them again to wrench joy from the jaws of unthinking degradation is a triumph beyond compare to find solace in the swirling abyss of sorrow is as courageous an act as we might perform to seek beauty in a massive pile of scattered dreams is cradling a tender innocence that cannot die to find sanctuary within a crevice of noise is a display of unconscious heroism to create within the rubble of destruction is elaborating upon the tenets of bravery to have faith when the sky is crashing around you is to demonstrate the strengths of being more than merely human to rise again from the grief that befell you is to succeed in gathering wisdom to gather wisdom from such agony is a sacred thing born of wings <laughs>